Bible study over here at the church at 730. And we're studying, looking at uh, Timothy on Wednesday night. And largely just a more of a discussion than, than a teaching session. So I just finished, actually I don't know if we even quite finished chapter one. One, one last paragraph in chapter one. I don't think you have to be there consistently to, to get something out of it, so don't feel like if you can't make it constantly, you shouldn't show up. Just come, go enjoy your company. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. So then Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the Jesus custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that be full need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call, call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Again, Father, we just thank you for your word and thank you for uh, this record of Jesus' ministry and guide our thoughts as we look at this help me as I preach the sermon in the Lord. I just pray that you would grow from this time together and pray for us in So as I preparing for doing this, I often will listen or read other people's sermons on, on these texts just to kind of see what other people's thoughts are or where, where their thoughts lead them. And sometimes I get some ideas from that and sometimes I don't, but um, this week I was reading, I almost did a completely different sermon based on what I heard. Because the one sermon that I read, the guy completely threw doubt on scripture in everything that he said. Um, starting with whether or not Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. <laughs> and so I I started looking into that, and I spent half a day chasing that rabbit trail, and I almost almost went with this whole message just based on that thought. But I thought, oh, that's really necessary. I'll think. But just to point out that people throw dough on scripture through many different means, and this was just a, a very subtle thing, and he, he gave a very subtle explanation of why he didn't think Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. But it makes you question the authority of the word that you're trying to you handing what you're reading, and whether it's something that we can trust. The other thing that I noticed 
with some of what he explained, what he believed about what was going on here is obviously not correct because we have two other Gospels that share the same account that are very clear on some of the circumstances surrounding this. And he, didn't, he thought this was Jesus in his own house. But if you remember the chapter earlier, Jesus said he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. <laughs> he doesn't have a house of his own to host people in. But when we get to Luke, we see that this is actually Matthew's house. And so, anyway, I just, I was quite disturbed by, by what I read through that. Um, I think it's worth at least noting. You can trust the Bible. Um, I looked up, you know, some views on that, and I almost went through the, the defense of why you can trust that Matthew did write it and all these different things. And the defense against the arguments that they have against it, but if you want to do that, come talk to me later and look at it. But we'll look at what the text actually has to say this morning. There's three basic lessons I hope we can kind of see out of this. The first is what it means to follow Jesus. The second is what our duty is as a follower of Jesus. And then thirdly, maybe how we can respond when our motives are questioned or when our faith is questioned. So first, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If we look back, Matthew chapter 8, the previous page, um, starting verse 19, says, A certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And when we looked at that passage, we looked in, in one of the other Gospels, we saw there was a, a third example of a similar case of people making excuses why they needed to do something else before following Christ. And he wipes out their excuses and says, no, you need to follow me now. Completely. Drop that stuff. Forget this other thing. You follow me. And that's exactly what Matthew does. Jesus is passing by, and Matthew is sitting, it says that when we see his custom, he's, he's a tax collector. And he's sitting at his place where he collects taxes. And Jesus passes by and says, come follow me. And we look in um, the Gospel of Luke, where it says that, it says that he left all. And he just gets up and follows Jesus. Like, is there a money box sitting there where he's collecting and, you know, all his record keeping and all this stuff? He just gets up and leaves it and he follows Jesus. That is what we are supposed to do. That is what Jesus was expecting in Matthew 8 when we looked at that passage of the way people are supposed to respond when Jesus calls. When we understand 
who Christ is and we see his call in our life, we're supposed to be willing to put all that stuff aside. Drop whatever in our life is hindering us from following him and follow him. <laughs> that is what God wants from us. That is what Christ requires. So Matthew's response was immediate. And Matthew's response was a complete surrender to Christ. When we responded to the gospel, was our was our response a complete surrender? Was our response immediate? Or did we have things that we wanted to deal with first in our lives? I remember as a little kid, believing the gospel, but knowing that I wanted, I, I don't know if I had any real sin in my life at that point to speak of, but I wanted to hold on to the possibility of that before fully committing to Christ. I, I wanted to be able to live the way I wanted to live. I didn't want to have to completely surrender myself to God's authority at that point. So my, my parents would have said I was saved at a young age. But when I look back at that kind of memory, I don't that I truly was saved at that point. Even though I believed the gospel, I wasn't fully committed. I wasn't like what Matthew is here. It was a little bit later on as a teenager where I fully committed. I was willing to give up whatever God wanted me to give up. And I was just willing to follow whatever God wanted me to do. The second question is, what is our duty as a follower of Jesus? What does it require from us when we make that choice? We see Matthew here in verse 10, it says, it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. If you were to look at this passage in, in the Gospel of Luke, um, we see that this is actually Matthew's house, and Matthew is actually throwing a feast on Jesus' behalf. And it's Matthew inviting all these other guests into the house. And we see that the house is full of publicans and sinners. Publicans are these reviled people among the Jews who are working for the Roman government collecting taxes from the Jews. And that's one of the things that the Romans did, is they would enlist people from the nations that they conquered as informants and as agents to do their work for them. And so the people of the conquered nation, as a place where Rome set up their authority, they hated these people. These people were reviled because of working for 
growing. And so when we see the Pharisees questioning the presence of, of these people, we start to understand why they're questioning why these people are here, why Jesus is in the company of these tax collectors that are working for Rome. But it says, I'm sinning. And Jesus was accused of being around all kinds of different sinners, and he doesn't have to specify what the sin is. But to the Pharisees, these sinners are just non-Pharisees, basically. You know, people that aren't adhering to the law to the extent that the Pharisees do. And so we have a house full of these people. They've come, probably by Matthew's invitation, these are probably the people that Matthew hung around with prior to this time. These are the people that he knew, that he was friends with. And he brought them into his home to hear Jesus, to see this man who changed Matthew's life, this man who Matthew dropped his entire livelihood, dropped everything that he was doing to follow this Jesus. And he wanted others to see who that was. He wanted others to know who this Jesus is. away from sharing our faith with our friends, <laughs> people that we know in, in life. Um, there's lots of times where I can look back at, in my life where I know my friends, the people that I'm around, want nothing to do with God. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They just want to go on living sinful life that they live in. Sometimes it's easy just to keep your mouth shut and not say anything to them. To not admit that you are a Christian. But that's not what we're to do. God wants us to make known who we are, who we represent. And I see that that's the example that Matthew gives us. Matthew understands the change in his life. He understands who Jesus is and why wouldn't he want to share that with, with his lost friends. And that is exactly what we need to do. We need to have that heart for people. If we recognize what Jesus saved us from, we recognize ourselves as a sinner that needed salvation, we should also recognize our lost friends as needing that as well. And if we truly care about those friends, if we're truly a friend to them, we need to make sure that we're actually sharing that message with them as well. I find it interesting that these people came and it doesn't talk about Jesus preaching, doesn't say anything about what Jesus has said here. But I'm sure just like 
what we've looked at in the past of what he's been teaching, what he's been saying, it would be the same message. The message of obedience to God. I mean, a message explaining God's word and how God expects us to, to live and act towards each other. The third part of this How do we respond when our motives are questioned? When Jesus is there and he's sitting at the table and he's eating and sharing and talking with these publicans and sinners, verse 11 says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? He's questioning Jesus' motives. He's questioning whether Jesus is doing something wrong by spending his time there. And I half wish that Vern was here this morning. <laughs> because Vern, in some ways, is an exact picture of this. We see in the motorcycle club, and he talks about spending time with these other motorcycle clubs that we kind of stay away from, right? These are people that we don't tend to associate with. Either sinners, like real sinners, right? <laughs> Bad people. And Vernon spends time with those guys. Vernon has a, an avenue of making himself welcome among those people. And it's a dangerous line. Uh, there's no question about it. And there's two, two errors, I think, that we can get into in this. Is the one where we're kind of looking like the Pharisees and, well, I don't think Right? We don't we don't think it's right to spend our time with those bad people, those sinners. And I say that's true if you're going and participating in the sin with them. Right? That's the difference. You can't win people if you're not with people. That's an absolute impossibility. And so you and I can't walk up to the Hell of Angels clubhouse and knock on the door and get welcomed in to preach the gospel. Um, I'm not sure what would happen if we tried that, but I'm pretty sure the door wouldn't be open and we'd be ushered in and welcomed. But Vern has that opportunity. He spends time with those guys, and in that, he gets the opportunity to share the gospel. And some of us Pharisees look at that and we think we shouldn't be around those people. But as long as he doesn't start to participate in the sin that they're doing, how else are those people going to get one for Christ? How else are they going to hear the gospel without us being there with them? But the other error 
Sadly, I see this maybe more in Christianity today than I do of the Pharisee kind of opinion. The people are starting to see this passage and they see Jesus sitting and having a meal with these publicans and sinners. And so people point to this as an excuse of, well, I go to the bars and I hang out and I have a drink with these guys and I do this and that and they participate with the world. They join in the world in the sin that the people are doing. And they're pointing to this verse, justifying their actions. And so there's the other extreme with these Christians who are doing these things, joining in, claiming that they're acting like Jesus. But they're actually just joining in the sin. And they're never actually preaching the gospel. And they're never having an opportunity to represent Christ because how do you represent Christ? He teaches us to stop sinning, to stop being a part of that if we're actually already doing it. They see the hypocrisy and we'll never have that opportunity. So we need to be very careful of where that line is, of having the opportunity to be around sinners and it's necessary for us to be able to share the gospel. But we can't join in the sin or we become a hypocrite and we can never never legitimately give the gospel to them because we're not representing it properly. And so there's a, a real extreme on both ends and we see Christ is in the middle. He's there with these people. He's there talking with these people. He's not outright condemning them and pounding on them, but he's going to preach what's right. He's going to teach them what the Bible says, what the law is, what it means, how we ought to respond to it. You know, let people respond however they're going to. It's not that he's not doing these things, but he's there with the people. And that's what we're required to do, is be with people so that we can share our gospel. It's interesting, and I think this is pretty typical. Notice the Pharisees didn't actually say anything to Jesus himself. And he goes, they go to the disciples and question, why does your master do this or that? You know when a, a pastor or a camp director, when somebody has an issue with something that you're doing, somebody will come to you and it'll be, people are saying, right? It's people. It's, there's never any defined person of who it is that's saying or thinking this thing. But you get the spokesperson is, people are saying, and then they'll give them, give the problem that they have with you. Nobody wants to own up to being the one criticizing, but they still want to have their voice heard, and so they, they go this back route through the disciples, through the other people, or through this anonymous person, people. And that's the 
you have a problem, if there's an issue, you need to go to the person that you have an issue with. If there's something wrong with something that I preach, sometimes I say things poorly, just inadvertently, without thinking through the way I'm saying something, and it can get taken wrong. Sometimes I'm trying so hard to not offend somebody that I don't say what I actually believe. <laughs> or I say it in such a roundabout way that people are like, what? <laughs> and I'm trying to stop doing that, but that's my nature is to try to not offend people. And so I'm trying to be careful in the way I phrase things or, or how firm I say things. And, and I get myself into trouble with that. But when you see me do this, if I'm saying something that's not right, if I'm saying things that aren't scriptural, or if I'm making poor choices as a leader in the church, if you see that, and you have, I'd like to hear from you, <laughs> and I'd like you to share your opinion. This has happened, and I'm glad for it. You're mad that I'm preaching the truth of the Bible, so that's going to be too bad because I'm going to have to keep doing that. But um, there's been numerous times where I've said something just poorly or not complete, and I've had to correct myself and do it in those things. But, but we need to go directly when we have a problem. Talk to the person, clarify what those things are, make yourself heard and be truthful in the way that you're approaching it. Don't, don't blame it on people are saying, hey, I think this, and, and just go out and say it. There's nothing wrong with that. Either you're correct the person you're going to, or maybe not correct the person you're going to. Either way, it's a, it's a good thing. Right? So Jesus responds, whether he, he hears or just like we saw before, he just he, he knows what we're saying. He just answers them, even though they're not talking to him. It says, verse 12, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus, yes, Jesus healed physical diseases, but that's not what he's talking about in this case. He's just he's talking about our sin. They're referring to him being a sinner. And so he's referring to healing this disease of sin. And says people that are whole, people that aren't sick, don't need a doctor. Only those that are sick get to go to the doctor. When you have a problem, if you're like me, that problem has to be pretty persistent or pretty severe before you actually go to that doctor. Um, I think people are like that with Christ as well. You've got to go through a lot of problems in life before you realize that there's something else out there that I need. There's another answer, and I'm not finding it in all these other ways that I'm looking. The question is, is do, we, do we know that we're sick? Do we know that we have a sin problem and that we need to be healed? 
Pharisees didn't know that. Next, in the next verse, Jesus says, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Did that mean that he's not there for the Pharisees because they're already righteous? <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's like, if you think you're righteous, I can't do anything for you. If you think you're not a sinner, I can't help. You have to understand that you're sick before I can give you the, the solution, the remedy to the sickness. And so we first need to just admit that we're sick, that we have a problem. We have to admit that we're a sinner before we can see our need for salvation, see our need for healing, right? But in verse 13, he adds to this, he says, but go and learn. You know, he's talking to the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the, the educated religious folks of the Jews. And he's telling them, go and learn. Because obviously they have some more learning to do. And he quotes from Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, saying, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And I, it's interesting, on, on Wednesday, um, I don't remember what brought it up, but I ended up bringing up Hosea. And Hosea, what a strange story in that, in that book. And he, God is so fed up with Israel. Um, they're going after other gods. They're, they're marrying people from other nations. And he's just doing everything that God ever said not to do. And so he's got this prophet, Hosea. And he tells him, go and marry this prostitute. And have children of her prostitution. And so he does. And he has these kids. And then God... When the first kid is born, just name this. And the name means whatever it is. And there's this horrible thing about what the nation is doing. And the next kid is born, and God says, name it this. And it's about this other horrible thing that the nation is doing. What a weird story. <laughs> and but that's, and God's explanation is, this is a picture of what, Israel was doing. And these names, names meant a lot to the Jews at that time. And so when he's naming these kids these things, it was a real message to the people about their sin. And so God's just fed up with their sin and their ignorant um, just rejection of, of him and his law and his word. And so he says to them, I will have mercy, not sacrifice. They want to continue on living this wicked life and come and offer sacrifices, their sin offerings and all these things. And God's like, I don't want your sacrifices if you're not going to change your actions. And that's what God's talking about is he wants them to live according to the law, not to just give the sacrifices required for disobeying the law. And we see couple of examples of this. I think I've 
brought it up before, but it's worth saying again. If you want to turn with me, um, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel. There's two examples in 1 Samuel with King Saul. Um, so 1 Samuel chapter 13 to start with. Samuel chapter 13. Just look at the response here or end result. In verse 8. So then carried seven days, this is King Saul, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, Therefore I said, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now will the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. What we see is Saul just takes it on himself to offer these offerings to God. And it's not his job to do that. It was supposed to be the priest's job. And Samuel, as God's prophet, apparently was able to do that as well. But um, but here Saul isn't obeying what God's commanded. He's disobeying God. He's making up his own rules. And then offering these offerings to God. And God wants no part of it. Because you're not obeying what I've said to do. And so this offering is meaningless. And just two chapters later, in chapter 15, we see it happen again. Chapter 15, verse 13. It says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. They had been in a battle, and they were supposed to destroy everything. And Samuel said, what meaneth in this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And a little bit Further down, there's a little bit more conversation there, but in verse 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Barry Hawkins says even for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. But we see he was commanded to destroy everything in that battle. He was supposed to kill every living thing. And he comes and he says to Samuel, I will I've done what God said. And of course, Samuel, I'd love to have been there to watch that conversation. What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? How come I can hear all these animals in the background? And Saul, well, we we spared those to bring them a sacrifice and an offering to God. the, the response from God is, I'd rather you obey me and do what I ask than to bring these sacrifices that I don't want. I want obedience, not sacrifice. So how does that apply in our lives today? What does that look like to us? Well, I don't know about you, but there's things in my life and there's I can't remember the passage now, but the sin that does so easily beset us. Seems like we each have something in our life that we have this bent toward this particular sin. And it's different for each one. There's some common ones. But the common thing that we do is we'll commit that sin and we'll feel bad and we'll go and we'll pray and we'll say, Glory to God, and we'll ask forgiveness, and then we'll get up from doing that, and ten minutes later we'll do the sin again. And we repeat this day after day, week after week, year after year. Often to the point where we hardly feel guilty anymore. We still know that we shouldn't be doing it, and we still ask for forgiveness. But God's looking at that, and He says, I don't want this prayer. I don't want, you know, your bargaining of the things that you're going to do to repay. I don't want you telling me all the good that you've done, all the volunteering that you do in your church and in your community. I want you to stop doing the sin. I want you to obey what you know you should be obeying. Stop coming, offering the sacrifice, whatever form that is, just to Oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll never do it again. And yet you get up from that and you do it again. And we do that. I'm guilty of that. I'm sure each one of us is in some way. But that's where this, that's what this looks like in our lives. You look at Saul and it's, well, how could he do this? How could he be so blatantly disobedient to God and then offering these sacrifices? As if he's doing some good thing to God. But yet we look the same as if you were to look at your own life and the way that we treat the sin in our lives and the way that we approach God as if that sin isn't there. Offering our, our services in this way or that way and hoping for his blessing in our life as we 
carry on in ignoring this sin, but do this good thing over here. And Jesus says, learn what this means. I think we need to stop. Like, I mean, if you're sitting at home and reading this passage, and come across this statement, go and learn what this means. I think it's time to stop and really think about what Jesus is saying in that moment. And start to look into what that really is talking about. So look at the context of the passage, not, not only what we're looking at here, but he's quoting this other scripture. And there's other examples as we go through scripture of people doing these things. And we need to look at it, we need to study it and learn what it means. Learn what God wants from us as disciples of Christ. And Jesus ends that and says, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. None of us is righteous. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And like I said, even the self-righteous need to be saved. But they first have to see their need. They have to see that they are not righteous. They have to see that they're not right before God. They have to understand that their sin condemns them just as your sin and my sin condemns us. And so we saw, as we looked through here, we see Matthew just all in. Whatever Jesus was going to ask him to do, he was going to do it. He dropped everything. He was going to leave anything behind that he had to leave behind. And he was going to follow Christ. And in following Christ, he also knew that he needs to bring others with him. He needs to share that message with all of his friends and neighbors. And he did that. And then when people are criticizing Jesus, and of course, Matthew would be criticized along with Christ there and the disciples for being around these sinners and socializing with these sinful people, Jesus was able to give an answer to what his purpose was among those people, and to heal the sick. If we're questioned, about our relationships with people, we should be able to give an answer of our purpose. We should be able to give an honest answer that our goal is to win those people. We should want those people to come to Jesus. We should be being there to be an example to them, not to join in with them in their sin. We need to make sure we make that distinction in our lives. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for the example that Jesus is to us, uh, the answer that he has when people question what his motives are. There are tendency to get defensive when people question our motives, to get angry. But Lord, help us to 
Father, good morning. And so now you need to be 